Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Jesus abiding, Jesus obeying, Jesus proclaiming people. Amen. I love reading. And one thing I've never given myself permission to do is just spend time reading fiction. I always kind of had this thought of my reading always has to be educational, uh, but kind of miss just some of the, uh, the benefits of reading fiction. And it's fascinating as you read fiction to see how different plots develop and see how the author builds the story. And, but sometimes there's these odd moments in books where there's this climactic moment where everything seems to shift in the plot. And the next chapter begins with, the most random situation that seems to have nothing to do with the plot that kind of loses all the momentum that was built up in the previous chapter. And you're just wondering with the author, like, what, why? What, you, you had my attention built up and now we're just off on another rabbit hole. But so often there's a reason. And we actually find one of those in Scripture, at least one. And it's in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 3, if you want to turn there, the verses will also be on the screen. But the Christian Missionary Alliance is best defined as a deeper life and missions movement. And sometimes it's easy for us to get really focused on the missions part that we lose the deeper life part. Sometimes we can also focus so much on the deeper life we forget about the missions, but it's both of them together. And... We've spent the summer looking at the Holy Spirit. and Who is the Holy Spirit and what does it mean to more deeply engage with the Holy Spirit? So we spent the summer really looking at that deeper life component. And officially starting next week, we're going to be spending uh, extended weeks looking at that missions part. But we've kind of got this in-between moment, just like we have in the book of Acts chapter 3. And again, Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends into heaven. He gives them the Great Commission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to have power. You're going to go be my witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls and tongues of fire appear and, and Peter begins to preach and people respond to the gospel. And it ends with this beautiful picture of the church being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And, and by the end of Acts chapter 2, like, you're just really ramped up like, yes, this is fantastic, amazing. This is what the people of God have been waiting for for centuries and it's finally come true. And, and then we come smack into Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Where after all of that, 
You almost finish chapter two like, okay, what's going to happen next? Well, what comes next? Something fantastic, something amazing, something mind-blowing. And here's how we start chapter three. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Really? We have the resurrected Christ promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. He floats up into heaven. The believers gather together and pray. The Holy Spirit falls and all kinds of cool stuff starts happening. Peter, Peter preaches a simple sermon and all these people respond and this beautiful picture of the church and that builds all up to Peter and John going the, to the temple to pray. Kind of seems anticlimactic. It, it seems ordinary. It just seems there. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour specifically. The Jewish people were to pray three times a day. The first one was going to be in the morning, 9 a.m., then 3 p.m., and then sundown. And what we find here is 3 p.m., specifically the ninth hour, uh, the first hour is 6 a.m., so the ninth hour is 3 p.m., and, and they go to pray. Basically, they go back to ordinary life. Like, after chapter 2, I mean, the Great Commission is now in effect. The Holy Spirit has come. You've got the power to be witnesses. Jesus said, go to all the world. And the first thing we find them doing is doing what most of the Jewish people were doing at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and going to the temple to pray. So ordinary, so basic, kind of so boring. But look what happens. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Which brings up a question. What about yesterday? If this man was being brought daily to the temple gate, then do Peter and John not see him the day before? Or is this now just the first day that they're going to the temple to pray because they've been in hiding ever since Jesus was crucified and they're just kind of waiting now for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit finally comes and so now they begin to have this boldness to go back to ordinary life. And so maybe this is the first time that they've really encountered this particular man. He wasn't there in the morning session, obviously. And I assume Peter and John went to the temple to pray at 9 a.m. And nothing significant seemed to happen at 9 a.m. But now we come to 3 p.m. And here we have this man who's being taken daily, probably at this one specific time, to just ask for help, to beg for all the people going to the temple for prayer. Verse 3. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, I want us to notice the beauty of this. Yesterday, Aaron and his friend went to the Steelers game. And so, dropped him off, went back later to pick him up, which I found Pittsburgh doesn't want you to go to the stadium at the end of the game. They want you away from the stadium. 
every road to the stadium is blocked. So it took, a, it took me a long time to finally pick him up. But you'll see whether it be outside of a sporting event as we did yesterday, uh, could be a Pirates game, could be anything. Or if you take the Robinson exit, you, you see them all the time. People asking for a handout, asking for help. And it's really fascinating as you watch the dynamics of this is usually if you're not so inclined to give them a handout, you typically don't try to engage with them, which includes you don't make eye contact. And a lot of times that person doesn't make eye contact with you. It's a very humbling, vulnerable position they are in. And it's a very awkward position for you to be in. Notice what Peter says to this man. Look at me. I know you just sit here as the crowds pass by and just say, somebody please help me. I, I need anything you can give would be appreciated. And Peter's like, would you pick your head up and look at me for a minute? Look at me in the eyes. This may seem like a passing detail or something so simple, but Peter is acknowledging his dignity and humanity as a person, saying, look at me. In verse 5, it says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So, the guy's like, okay, good. This guy's clearly going to give me something. And Peter's like, oh no, I'm a broke preacher. Don't, I got nothing to give you. But I do have something even better. Stand up and walk. Now, here's this guy like, okay, now you're just making fun of me. I'm not going to stand up and walk. I haven't been able to stand up and walk. And you're just going to say, rise up and walk. But Peter reaches down in verse 7, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Now, could you imagine going up to somebody who cannot walk, maybe they, they've been bound to a wheelchair for years, and you just walk up to them, grab their hand, and say, get up and walk, and you pull them up. That's a gutsy move. Because there's two things that can happen. Option one, they stand up and walk, and that's fantastic. Option number two, they collapse to the ground immediately. And you've made a fool of yourself and them. But Peter never seems to worry that he's going to look foolish or embarrass the man. He takes him by the hand, raises him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. In verse 8, and leaping up, not just standing up, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. What's happening? What happens with Peter and John? Because there's some very simple but profound things that happen here. Because again, this seems like such a, a letdown after Acts chapter 2. I mean, again, let's put ourselves in Acts chapter 2b. Somewhere in between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're the apostles, we're the followers of Jesus, we're gathered together. Jesus 
rises from the dead, he appears to us and says, pretty soon, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have power, and you're going to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, you're going to be my witnesses, and you're going to make disciples of all nations. Now, see ya, and he floats up into heaven, and an angel says, don't worry, he's coming back the same way. So now, the light has turned green. The Great Commission is a go. It is now up to them to go take this gospel to the world, and they wake up on this morning. And they say, so how do we start? And apparently, they had no answer to that. Peter's like, John, so how do we start this thing? I don't know. So what do they do? They start by just living an ordinary day. They just go about their ordinary lives. The first thing that happens with Peter and John is they went about their ordinary lives. They could have easily gotten up that morning, had breakfast, and said, okay, guys, we are here now. The Holy Spirit came. Jesus said, go be witnesses in all the world. So it starts now. How do we do this? What do we do? Where do we go? And they could have plotted together and strategized and said, okay, you guys go over here. We're going to go over there. We're going to start preaching to anybody who's going to listen to us. Instead, what they do is, well... What would we normally do today? It's three o'clock. I guess we'd go to the temple and pray. Okay. They go about their ordinary lives. There's no big change in what they do. I mean, over time, that's going to come. But day one, it would seem, this could be day two, day three, it doesn't tell us, but it gives you the feeling like this is the next day, They go about living their ordinary lives. The second thing that happens to them, they noticed a divine appointment. They noticed a divine appointment. In the midst of their ordinary day, their ordinary routine of going to the temple at the hour of prayer, they notice a divine appointment. They see this man asking for alms, He calls out to them. Now, sometimes, just like this, the divine appointment will scream at you. Like, I'm here. Pay attention. Sometimes you need to be watching for it. But in the middle of living their ordinary lives, they notice a divine appointment. They could have easily been like, oh, there's one of those beggars. Just let's walk on the other side of the road. They see him. They hear him, they engage with him, and they minister to him. They see that this is a divine appointment. This is what the Great Commission looks like for them. We're living our ordinary lives, and in the middle of ordinary life, a divine appointment appears. Sometimes they call out to you. Sometimes you have to see them and recognize them. Sometimes you just create them and realize that God was there. Or there was... uh, went to a gas station and I went in, just got something to drink and just wanted an excuse to go in there and wanted to ask the cashier, could I pray for you? And she immediately reaches out, grabs my hands and says, yes, please, I just got off the phone and, and got this bad news. Could you please pray? An ordinary time, I 
stopped to get gas and decided, let me get something to drink so I can ask the cashier how I can pray for her. And suddenly a divine appointment presented itself. The third thing that happens to Peter and John, they ministered to his practical need. Why was this man poor? Why was this man dependent upon strangers to give a handout so that he can make ends meet? Because he's lame, because he's not able to walk, he's not able to be productive. They could have given him, if they had the money, they could have given him a handout. There would have been nothing wrong with that. But they say, we're going to do one better. Since we have nothing to give you, we'll do you one better. We're going to help so that from now on you can make your own money and not have to do this every day. And they minister to his physical need by simply declaring the healing. And, And notice how that healing takes place. Notice how Peter goes about this. And this could be a sermon in itself. Peter could have come to the side with John and they said, okay, let's lay hands on our brother here and just, okay, Lord, we pray that you would restore strength to his legs. But if you look through the Gospels and you look through Acts and you look through the New Testament, they never pray that way. It sounds audacious, but what Peter does here is the typical pattern. They simply kind of declare the restoration. But that's a whole other sermon. Don't want to go too far down that road. But they ministered to his practical need. Over the course of, I don't know, the past hundred years, as evangelicals, we've decided we're about the gospel and the gospel only. And it's created this rift where as evangelicals were here saying, we're about the gospel, the gospel only. And other denominations have said, we're about meeting the needs of the world. And so we don't want to deal with the gospel stuff. And here we have both. They're doing gospel work, but they're also ministering to practical needs. And that's what I love about so many of these stories that we see from our international workers. It's not just going over to this country, standing on a street corner and preaching, but they begin by engaging and ministering to the practical needs of the people around them. That's a great model. Isn't that what Jesus did? Why did crowds keep coming to Jesus? They had practical needs. Was it selfish? Yeah, probably. Did they care more about getting their practical need met than Jesus himself? Probably. But it was a starting point. And we can't, in the midst of being gospel people, forget about ministering to the practical needs of the world around us because they're everywhere. But because Peter and John went about their ordinary lives, they noticed a divine appointment. They ministered to this man's practical needs. The fourth thing that happens is they saw, saw God do the extraordinary. They saw God do the extraordinary. In the middle of their ordinary day, doing the ordinary thing of going to the temple at three in the afternoon to pray, they saw a divine appointment. And because they were open to setting aside their schedule of what they wanted to do, they saw God do something extraordinary. 
And this is what I love so much about Acts, because in Acts we get so much focus on Paul and his missionary journeys, which are exciting, but we lose sight of this one little passage where after, before Paul's converted, he's Saul, he's persecuting the church. When that persecution heats up after the stoning of Stephen, we get this little throwaway verse that all the believers except the apostles flee Jerusalem. And we just kind of gloss over that. And we fail to recognize that all of these nameless people who fled Jerusalem, it says they took Jesus with them. Wherever they went, they uprooted their ordinary lives to live ordinary lives somewhere else. And they took Jesus with them wherever they went. And sometimes as Jesus followers, we kind of feel like, okay, I'm going to do outreach now or we're going to have an outreach event now, or this is church time, or this is Jesus time, and then there's the rest of my life. And in the book of Acts, all of life was Jesus time. And they said, we are going to live our ordinary lives in the midst of our ordinary lives, be open to God doing extraordinary things through us. And so when we talk about missions, when we talk about the Great Commission and being witnesses for Jesus, we have to be careful not to automatically click into, okay, how do I fit that into my life now? I'm busy enough as it is. How do I fit evangelism into my life? How do I fit sharing Jesus into my life? It's not about putting something else into your life. It's about saying, where in my ordinary life does Jesus want to show up? and work through me to minister to the people I encounter in my boring, everyday, ordinary life so that in the middle of that ordinariness, Jesus can do something extraordinary. So I want to ask you to take a moment, and if you're taking notes on your note page, or if you just want to think of that's fine too, I want you to think about three things that you do every week that are so ordinary you think nothing of them. Three things that you just do every week and it's just part of your schedule. And I want to invite you this morning to begin praying to say, Jesus, how can you take this ordinary part of my life and make it extraordinary? Maybe on Tuesdays you go to the grocery store. That's an ordinary thing. That's part of a weekly habit. You just go to the grocery store. Do you think there might be a divine appointment in that grocery store? Somewhere. It may not be screaming out to you, but it might be there. The person who's blocking what you're trying to get our initial instinct is to want to snarl at them? What if they're there blocking your way because that's the divine appointment? It's nothing you had to add to your day. And here's how you make it less weird. Here's my default phrase. I'm sorry, this is going to sound like a totally random question, but is there any way I could pray for you? I'm acknowledging it's a little weird. But so far, I haven't had anybody be like, how dare you ask me that? The worst I get is, 
No, thank you. Maybe that's your ordinary. And instead of just going to the grocery store, you now become a giant eagle missionary, a Coons missionary, a Walmart missionary, wherever you get your groceries from. Maybe it's a place where you go and get your coffee. How can God use that ordinary thing that you do on a regular basis and turn it into something extraordinary? Work. Work is so ordinary. And it doesn't have to be some, okay, I need to create a lunchtime Bible study, but how in the middle of your ordinary day at work does Jesus want to make it something extraordinary? So I want to give just a few moments of silence and just, would you take those few moments and just write down three ordinary things that you do on a regular basis? And there's, in your heart, ask Jesus, how do you want to make this extraordinary? What would that look like? Because it could be different for every single one of us. So let's just turn our hearts to the Lord in these moments. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.